Hey guys, real quick, before we start the podcast, I just want to thank you all for listening and growing this show. It's been spectacular to see the amount of, of downloads we've got since we've made the conversion to Red Letters and White Tails. Uh, real quick, if you listen on Apple, go leave us a review or give us a, you know, leave us an honest review, give us those stars, or if you listen on Spotify, go on, give us a review. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Letters and White Tails podcast. This is your host, Stephen Crawford. This is episode number 11, I believe, since we've made the conversion from Chasing Legends to Red Letters and White Tails. I thank you all for the support with the, with the change um, and the change in direction. It's been, uh, it's been awesome to see. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated and noticed. And uh, can't thank you guys enough. Just, uh, it's all Jesus, y'all. It's all Jesus. I can't take take any credit for it whatsoever. It's Tim speaking through me, and it's been life-changing for me. So I appreciate everybody out there listening. Hopefully it's turning your eyes upward or toward, your, or toward Scripture and uh, helping strengthen your faith and your relationship with, with Jesus. Uh, Really excited about this episode of the podcast. I am going to be joined by a man named Matthew Campbell. Um, I had posted a couple weeks ago about some numbers um, in regards to the the doe harvest in Michigan in 2023, um, which, in in my opinion, the numbers weren't great. Um, Matt reached out to me, wanted to talk about it from a different perspective, and. Really excited for this conversation. So we're going to have Matt jump on the line um, after uh, after the red letter section. And we're going to talk uh, the issues with uh, Michigan doe hunting from a couple different perspectives and um, what some, some of our opinions and what we think would help moving forward. Um, and I think it's a hot topic in Michigan right now. I mean, regulations and... What we can do to help the management in, in the state of Michigan is a topic among anybody I talk to that's a Michigan hunter. It's, it's a topic of conversation. Um, you know, everybody talks about uh, earn a buck, one buck, APRs, antler point restrictions, if you don't know what APRs are. Um, but nobody really talks about the doe harvest and what we need to do there to help improve that because we can do all we want to help the, the buck harvest and make all these restrictions on what bucks to kill, how many we can kill. But at the end of the day, doe, doe management is just as vital when you're talking about deer management and managing a herd. So excited to have Matt on the line to talk about that. Before Matt jumps on, though, uh, excited about the red letters portion as well. We're going to jump into Mark, chapter, the end of chapter 8 in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 34 through 38. So we're looking at Mark 34 through 38. Obviously, the whole gospel is powerful. What's gospel? It's good news, right? There's no, nothing bad in the gospel. I mean, you might perceive it as bad, but it's all truth, right? So if you perceive anything in the gospel as wrong or bad, you have to look inward because it's truth. So if it convicts you... That's where you got to look inward. But this, these four verses, I think, are some of the most powerful. This is all letters in red. This is Jesus. 
This is the Son of God speaking. And I'm going to jump into it right now. So, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to see their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Powerful, right? I'm going to read it one more time. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed... Of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. <clears throat> feel like he's 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 pointing out a generation here, maybe a couple recently. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. What he's saying is the Son of Man will be ashamed of them and rejects them in his second coming. Because that's what he means by it. Um, in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So let's break this down. Um, Powerful words. I think this is some of the most powerful. I mean, they're all powerful coming from Jesus, but man, these hit. These hit hard. Um, let's start when uh, when he calls the crowd to him and along with his disciples and said, "Whoever wants to be my mis- disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me." So Jesus, he didn't teach self-denial as like an end in itself. He he does not desire to be miserable for miserable's own sake. Obviously, he he wants us to live joyful lives. Um we deny the aspects of the self that lead to death, though. We have to that is like when you die to yourself, that is dying to what your selfish like the selfish aspects of your life and and things that like you can cha- uh, you try to chase in this world that have nothing to do with the gospel, your selfish, um, worldly views, your selfish worldly goals, cruelty, indifference. Um, we deny the aspects of the self that lead to death. So selfishness, cruelty, indifference. Um, in order to experience life and bring true life and hope to others. So take so when he says taking up your cross um he's he's referring to, to to himself taking the cross up to uh up to get crucified on and um what did that include for him taking up his cross it it required obviously the sacrifice the greatest sacrifice any man has ever given um and and pain I mean, if you 
Jesus was, was tortured before he even carried his cross up. So carrying your cross, dying to oneself, dying to your own selfish desires on a daily basis, and taking up your cross, uh, it requires a sacrifice. Like you're, you're, you're living for Jesus. You're not living for one, yourself and your own selfish desires. So taking up your cross, yes, it's going to, it's going to require some sacrifice and it's going to, and, and possibly pain. Like Jesus says that, you know, remember when they hate you, they hated me first. But like part of being a a true, bold Christian is you're going to be disliked in a lot of circles in this world. I think we can all agree with that. And so it's going to require some pain. You're, you're going to be ashamed, but it's dying full of shame that you never shared is so much worse than dying a life of sacrifice and pain because Maybe you felt shame, but you were able to, to release that shame because you live for Jesus and you were able to talk to people about your sins and your desires and what how you got through that because of Jesus. And it could potentially lead that person you're talking to to Jesus as well. Um, so taking up your cross is going to require sacrifice and pain, but it will lead to a life with a new level of appreciation. For Jesus in service to others. So, yes, it, there might be temporary pain. There might be a, like sacrifice, but you know what? The longer you live for Jesus, the longer you wake up every morning and die to your own selfish desires and say, I'm not going to chase what this world wants me to chase. I am going to chase what the gospel wants me to chase, and that is Jesus every day and live for him. The longer you do that, the less it's going to feel like sacrifice and pain. The easier that pain will go through. There's going to be some uncomfortable times where you're ridiculed in public or in private or you are, in, or people, you know, really, really wrong you and treat you with disrespect because you're following Jesus. Um, but over time, if you continue to do that over a long period of time, it's not going to feel it's not going to be so hard to sacrifice your worldly desires and it's not going to feel so painful because you're so used to it and you just know that what you are striving for in the life you are living is for him and you and there's no better joy than knowing that every day i'm going to give up my selfish desires and live for him and everything else in life just becomes easier um, so he, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So what we, sh we should be willing to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, not because our lives are, are useless by any means, but because nothing, not even life itself can compare to what we gain when we follow Jesus. Jesus wants us to choose to follow him rather than to lead lives of sin and self-satisfaction. And uh, he wants us to stop trying to take our control of our own destinies and let him direct us. How many times do you hear that in the world? You know, take charge of your own life. Chase your own, chase your own destiny. I, you control your own destiny. The work you put in, you control your future. True? 
sure. But if it's worldly and not directed toward Jesus, you're just, you're missing the point. You're missing the boat. Um, he wants us to stop trying to control our own destinies for the world and to let him direct us. Wake up every morning and pray, God, lead me toward you. Help me live a life that you desire and just trust that sometimes sometimes I might be confused. Sometimes I might feel alone. Sometimes I don't know where you're leading me, but I trust that you are leading me in the right direction. Because God's plan is always right. He might interrupt your plans for his plans, but your plans don't matter. He will never interrupt his plans for your plans. Remember that. We talked about that in the last episode. Uh, this makes good sense because the, as the creator, Jesus knows better than we do what real life is about. He asks for submission, not self-hatred. He asks us only to lose our self-centered determination to be in charge. He he knows that this is a difficult thing to ask, but this is our true only way to Jesus is to die for your die to yourself on a daily basis and take up your cross. Sacrifice yourself for him on a daily basis. Yes, there's going to be pain. Yes, there's going to be trials. Yes, there's going to be moments of weakness. But if you pray to and trust in his plan, and live for him every day. I promise you, when you're laying on your deathbed one day, it's all going to be worth it. And you know what? If you chase worldly desires and you're selfish, your your whole life and chasing like your own goals that have nothing to do with the gospel and nothing to do with Jesus Christ, you're gonna feel a little empty on that deathbed. You know, I'm 33 years old. I don't know how I'm going to feel on my deathbed. I'm striving to live a life for Jesus. But I've just heard so many stories. So many worldly successful people. So many people were successful in a worldly sense on their deathbed. Saying it was all for nothing. Because you can't take your worldly possessions with you when you die. Anything you gain in this world... Besides a relationship with Christ, you cannot take with you when you die. It's just something to remember. Many people spend all of their energy seeking pleasure. We know this. We know people. I mean, we. I find myself, you know, on, like on certain days where I'm found in a moment of weakness seeking worldly pleasures that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, we're all going to have those times and those moments of weakness. But many people who completely ignore God their whole life, spend their whole entire life, spend their all their energy seeking pleasure and worldly success. But Jesus said, however, the worldliness, which is centered on possessions, positions, power, is ultimately worthless. Whatever you have on earth is only temporary. It cannot be exchanged for your soul. So if you work hard at getting what you want, it might seem like you have a satisfying life. But eventually you will find that it is hollow and empty. So are you willing to make the pursuit of God more important than the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake? 
follow Jesus and you will know what it means to live abundantly now and ultimately have eternal life. It's the only way to eternal life. You get such a short amount of time on this earth that ultimately determines where you're going to spend eternity. And I don't, people just live for the now and live for the world so often in this modern day society that they're like, I'm going to make the most out of this life as I possibly can because I don't know what's going to happen in eternity. I don't know what eternity is. I don't believe in God. But if you can live a life on this earth and make the best of it, but if you turn your attention to Jesus and do that for Jesus' sake, there's this confirmation and this joy and this peace in the thought that it's not over when my earthly body dies. Because I have eternity with him. What a sense of peace. And you see all the the drugs and the like depression in the world today. And it all adds up because we have less God in the world today than we ever have. We're taking it out of schools. We're taking it out of public places. We're taking it out of everywhere we possibly can. And then all this, then the depression skyrockets, the suicide skyrockets. People are so unsure and unsteady with where life is taking them. No wonder. It all adds up. If you just dive into scripture and dive into the gospel and live a life for Jesus, repent and live a life for Jesus, and truly believe in your heart that He is the Son of Man, and that He died for our sins, and that when God looks at you, He doesn't see the sinful man or woman you are, He sees Jesus Christ. If more people can just come to their senses and realize that, we'd live in such a more joyful and peaceful society, I promise you. And I look forward to eternity someday when there is no sadness, there is no crying, there is no death. There is no depression, there are no suicides, because everybody there lived for Jesus now. And the nice, the greatest thing about this gospel, when you repent and decide to live a life for Jesus, is eternity doesn't start when you die, eternity starts now. You're going to be alive forever. Even when your earthly body dissolves, you will be alive forever. So might as well start now and bring the gospel to yourself and bring it to others. So not only can you celebrate eternity with Jesus, but everybody around you can as well. Hope you guys enjoyed the red letter section of the podcast. We're going to get Matt on the line. Thank you. Live for Jesus, y'all. Hey, Steve. Hey, Matt. Thanks for joining the podcast, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, before we uh, get into the meat and potatoes, um, we were talking a little bit before we hopped on the podcast and um, talking about you. You know, you said you have twins, 10-year-old twins, so your time in the fall is, is much more limited than it used to be. And this was the first year you actually didn't draw a non- resident tag in Kansas so you 
you had a goal here in Michigan. You want to? What's? I want to just talk about that real quick before we, we dive into the whole Dole situation. Yeah. So uh, this year, with not drawing a tag, I knew I was going to have a lot more time to dedicate to Michigan. Um, so I decided that I was going to go 100% recurve, and I was going to, you know, live with those results, whatever they might be, um, for the archery season. And it was definitely, it was definitely a grind. So my average year prior to that, when I had an out-of-state hunt scheduled, I would say I had probably around 10 sits total in Michigan. And this year I probably, I probably had 20 okay. to, 25, tw- to 25 sits in the early archery alone. So Yeah, um, that's definitely an uptick. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to have. Nice to have more time to sit, but frustrating at the same time with the recurve because I I was so used to, uh, you know, being very efficient with the compound. Yeah, like, so with your compound, do you have a limit? Like, do you have a a range where you're confident up to shooting a deer at? Uh, I won't hesitate to 40. Yeah. Um, I've killed deer out to 50, I think, two different times, but... I really, really don't like shooting past 40 at whitetails just because they're so twitchy. Amen. And um, even with, you know, the best compounds out there, uh, especially on does, I've had bad experiences with them jumping the string because they're wound so tight here in Michigan. <laughs> Schizophrenic. Oh. So, so, yeah, forty, <laughs> pretty much 40-yard bubble is where I live with a compound. So what was your bubble with the recurve this year? Uh, basically 15 yards. Um, I missed two deer at 20 yards because when I target shoot, I feel very comfortable at 20. Yeah. It's a whole nother animal out there though. But it was, um, very humbling (laughs) (laughs) to, uh, to strictly use the recurve. Um, I did take a buck and a doe. Um, but I also missed two does and missed two bucks. (laughs) Hey, you know what? You had... A season that a lot of us have had with a compound bow, right? So, <laughs> right. Uh, right. It could have been worse. And heck, I mean, you filled two tags of the recurve. Are those your first two deer with a recurve? Uh, I think I had five doe kills prior okay. to going, going into this season. You know, I was talking um, to some buddies recently about uh, uh, one of them was took up recurve, I think, in 2022. And he's been, like, sticking to it since. And you don't realize that, like, you, you think, you look back through bow season, it's like, you had a lot of deer in bow range. But the amount of deer that you actually have 15 yards and in, um, it's it, very few and far between. I don't care how high your deer density is. You know, and you're talking about does being so twitchy and schizophrenic, like, yeah, it's it's just it's just rare to to be able to do that. So I mean, I I think the fact that you flung six arrows confidently <laughs> is a pretty good season. <laughs> yeah, um, but to your point, it was very eye opening to me sitting in a lot of my traditional setups at how comfortable I was with having deer at thirty, like you're saying, yep. and just being like, oh yeah, easy bow range. For sure. And then you go there with a compound and they look like, you're with a 
recurve and they look like they're a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I did uh, a lot of hanging hunts to try and, you know, uh, get just a little bit closer in those spots and really pay more attention to getting the deer funneled a lot tighter than I normally would. For sure, for sure. Now you were saying, so we were talking before, um, give us a little bit background uh, on yourself. Uh, you live um, in, in mid-Michigan, and you were telling me that you hunt primarily private, but you want give us a little background on like your life, your family, and um, your hunting. Okay. Um, as far as hunting goes, I mean, as early as I can remember, my dad and grandpa hunted and I, I mean, I don't, I can't really put my finger on it. My dad was a hunter, but he wasn't a crazy hunter. Like I am like obsessed with it. Yep. But I, I just, even from a little kid, just, I had to go with him. Like just couldn't get enough of it. And then at 13 was my first year bow hunting. Um, so I've been bow hunting about 27 years now, all in mid Michigan here mostly on the same two farms wow so isn't it funny how i always joke like i we had to wait till we were 12 13 to bow hunt now these kids can pretty much bow hunt whenever their parents want them to (laughs) so my dad was lifelong gun hunter only and just from what people were were telling him at the time i wanted to go when i was 12 yeah but he he told me if i couldn't pull 45 pounds he wasn't gonna let me go and I was a scrawny, small little 12 year old, and I could not for the life of me. I had an old hand me down Darton like everybody else in Michigan. Yep. And it was only, I think, 60% let off at best. And I just could not do it. Couldn't finally, muscle at, it. <laughs> finally, at 13 that summer, <laughs> I uh, could get the bow back. But yeah, it is oh, wildly awesome. different than it is now. Shoot, some guys are propping their kids up at six years old out there i know it's and, uh, crazy it, it, i mean <laughs> the way till 13 the crossbows changed a lot in that regards um yep. and i mean i there's i was the same way i look back and like i i was hunting when i was 12 and i was pulling 43 pounds is what i was born mm-hmm. um yep. and my dad said the same thing when i was 10 i had this bow and it would only go up to 35, and I couldn't pull it back. And he's like, you know, two years, you're legal to bow hunt, but if you're not pulling back over 40, I can't let you go. And mm-hmm. um, it's like, but like when you're 10 and 11, it's not like you're doing anything to make yourself stronger, just hoping that Mother Nature does it for you. Um, right, right. But that's funny. So I grew up hunting, um, and... Uh, you you say yeah are you are you primarily just a bow hunter now yeah so i would definitely describe myself as a bow hunter i mean the lat well for an idea the last buck that i killed with a rifle was 2006 wow yeah so we're almost 20 years ago i've shot i've shot a few does here and there you know late season with the rifle yep um but well, for instance, this December I shot two does with the rifle, and the extended doe season. Yep. Those were the those were the first two deer of any kind with a rifle in twelve years. Wow! Well, yeah, you were really stick. <laughs> so I mean, just and then this year, November fifteenth, 
I killed my buck with my compound on opening day. Of Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. So I was going to ask you, so you, you just bow hunt through gun season. Yes. Typically what I do is I'll hunt opening day, no matter what, just because the movement is so good Yep. from everybody moving the deer around. And then maybe the second day, but after that, I don't step foot in my property until after gun season. Really? So when I you say after a, gun season, it'd be a sanctuary, you know, try and give those deer a place to at least have a minuscule chance to get by. Yeah, I mean, when um, you're saying after gun season, you mean like after regular firearm season, or do you include the muzzle? Yes. Season? Yeah. Okay. So, so. typically, in a typical year, what ends up happening the last few years is early December has not been cold. So I like to wait until there's snow on the ground to bow hunt again. That's like one of my favorite things to do. Yep. So in an average year, I might go November 16th until December 15th. Like I'll take those 30 days, just take them right off. Heck yeah. Yeah. Catch up on work, let the deer settle down. And then when I do go back in, in mid December, typically everyone else is done hunting. The deer have calmed down a little bit and it's really enjoyable. For sure. December's one of my favorite times to bow hunt. Especially with snow, which I don't know what, like over you, where you guys are at in mid Michigan, but this was like, this is the worst December I could remember. Um, we oh, got like awful. no snow. Me. Yeah, like I didn't, the, I didn't even want to go. Same, same. Could, I like I. You couldn't even. <laughs> I couldn't even let a deer hang overnight in my barn. No, no. You had <laughs> nights that are like degrees. fifty-eight degrees, and it's like, oh my <laughs> goodness. Yeah, it, it was like it was kind of the perfect situation for me this year, just because our son was born in September, so it was easy decision for me to just like stay home all December, you know, and yeah, and and help with help with the baby, and it didn't add the extra stress because I know that stress would have been there if, if, you know, I had like a, on December 17th, it was 10 degrees and 10 inches of snow. Lord knows right. it would have been a tough decision to stay home. Um, Absolutely. but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, hopefully moving forward, we don't have anything like that for a long time. Cause that I'm with you snow, you put some, put some white, uh, put a white background and you get those temps below 20. Those, those are my favorite times of deer hunt. Yeah. Um, do you guys, uh, have you killed bucks in late, late season with your bow? Uh, no. I had, So this year on the 15th, I shot a buck, a nice buck with my bow. And then I think it was 2015, we got like a three-inch snow overnight, and it was November 23rd, and I killed a really nice buck with my bow that morning. Nice. Um, so I guess November 23rd is the latest that I've killed one with a bow. Okay. Okay. Never, never had any luck. I mean, typically where I'm at, they're so cleaned out from gun season. Yep. I mean, they, the gun hunters are very efficient in my area, put it that way. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of Mich lower peninsula, Michigan hunters feel you there. So yep. uh, it's hard to get excited <laughs> about, a a good buck that it's like, you like, I've seen bucks November 12th, 13th, and you, there's that glimmer of hope, like maybe he survives, and yeah. he just never does. <laughs> well, and typically what happens for me is if I do have a nice buck that survives the primary firearm season, <clears throat> excuse me, and he shows up on camera in December, I it's such a feeling of like almost guilt for me. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> like he did the hard part, you know what I mean? Yeah. To where, I mean, don't get me wrong. If it was like a 140, 150 inch buck, absolutely. I'd go hunt him for sure. But if it's like a 100 to 120 that I know has a 98% chance to live now. Yeah. You're just typically, gonna... I, typically I just stay right away from them. So I'm not even tempted. I don't even hunt where they are. And you know, I'm not, it's funny saying that I would that I would pass the deer, but I don't even want to be put in that situation, so I just leave them alone. No, I hundred percent understand where you're coming from. It's like in Michigan, you almost feel this like, all right, buddy, you made it through. I'm gonna reward <laughs> you with another year. You know, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, so reason for the pot. So I posted some uh, Michigan doe stat harvest statistics a couple yeah. weeks ago, and 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 you reached out, um, and. I was a little bit harsh on one of them and said that, you know, Michigan hunters get an F for their, their dough, yep. um, like success this year. And, uh, you like, you have a different viewpoint now. I'm, I'm, I'm well, ready to I do. don't, I, I guess I'm not sure how to really describe it. Like, I, I just want to see, I guess, expand on that a little bit and see why, why you think that, I guess. Yeah, Maybe so, what, I what mean, I guess. in that type of thing. Yeah, like, I'm not all, I'm not in favor of a lot of what our, our DNR does. I think compared to a lot of um, fish and game and other, you know, in other states that we, we lack a lot of, I just feel like there's some low-hanging fruit there in the state that we don't, take advantage of or at least have a discussion about but um you know i think it's very obvious that in the lower peninsula we have an extremely high doe density in the, throughout the majority of the state there's obviously some pockets um like comes to mind like manistee national forest um there's some pockets in uh, you know, the Southeast Michigan, um, that, that don't have a high deer density, but for the most part, the lower peninsula has a very high deer density. And from yeah. what I hear from Michigan hunters all the time, and I'm one of them, I, I, I include myself in these topics of conversation is mm-hmm. we need to go to one buck. We need to go to APRs throughout the state. We need to do earn a buck, like all the, all the stuff that the States around us have tried and, or do. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, yeah, we could do all of that, but we're missing half the point here. And half the point is if you really want to totally manage a herd, I mean, I think you could appreciate this. You own a piece of property and it sounds like, you know, you you, you do your part. But part yep. of doing this whole deer management is is killing does. And I, I do, even though a lot of what our DNR does, I don't agree with. And some of the stuff they've come out with and I just... A lot of legalistic stuff, but I thought they did a very good job prior to this year of expressing the need to kill more does. And they have done some things to, to, to help with that. They've made the combo tag into something where you could kill an antlerless deer. Because beforehand, before I think 2020, a combo tag was, was buck only. And... Yes. Um, Two-thirds of the state of Michigan never even bought a doe tag. They'd buy the combo, and that's it. So they don't, they're taking themselves completely out of even the option of shooting a doe. Um, so they've done that. And now there's, you know, growing up forever up until a few years ago, you had to, like, apply for a public land doe tag. Oh, well, now yeah. you have the universal doe tag that you can buy up to, I believe, 10 of them. 
um, public or private, throughout the Lower Peninsula, where you can kill a doe. So the DNR is doing some small things um, to to urge us to kill more does. And um, I, I mean, I, I mentioned the article by by Chad earlier in the year. The the reason why I mentioned yep. that is it got a lot of it looked like it got a lot of traction in September when it came out. Like I saw how many shares it had. It, had, it did, and and I actually went back before our conversation today and reread that thing. And one thing that I found a little comical was that it was published on September twenty first, after early antlerless season, <laughs> a week a week after the early antlerless season. Yes, yeah. I mean, the time <laughs> that that is that that I uh, I've noticed that as well. Right when it came out, I was like, "Well, this is late," but um. Yeah. Overall, it was before the majority of the hunters in Michigan take the woods. Um, True. It circulated a lot. I had a lot of people send it to me. Um, so I just figured a lot of people got to read it. Not that it would change everybody's philosophy overnight, but hopefully open some eyes that, like, you know, all the states around us, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, uh, their, harvest, their antlerless harvest um, is you, is. I think that article says it's eight to twenty-five percent more antlerless Correct. deer than bucks. Um, where Michigan, we've only had one year in the last twenty-three years that we've killed more does than bucks, um, and this year, um, I haven't. I know that there's like a a late doe season still going on the east side of the state, so the harvest right um, isn't completely in. But again, we fall like right in line with last year. Like we're at like forty three point three percent of our deer harvested are does. Um, so it was just, it was, I, I was disappointed in the fact that like, you know, we bitch about, excuse my language, we we no, complain no, about it, <laughs> we complain about our DNR um, a lot, yep. and I feel like. Maybe this time they're they're trying to do something right. I, I mean, and uh, they're trying to, to to help with the management side of things, and we're just kind of like, whatever. We don't trust you. We're not going to listen to you. Right. We're just going to continue to do things that we're going to do, and continue to complain that uh, we don't have small bucks because we don't have APRs and one buck tag. You know. Right. So um, in that, that article, in that article, I was shocked actually to see seventy-five percent of hunters in Michigan in twenty twenty-two did not shoot a doe. Yeah, isn't that in less than one? That seemed, that seemed wildly high to me, but I that, guess that's just my microcosm of hunters that I know around here. But exactly, I think a lot of it is like where you live. I think if you live in farm country where hunting is I- I- extremely prevalent also i i think a lot of do there's a lot of does that are shot and aren't reported i do think that's i i'm glad you brought that up because um so just real quick not to sidetrack the conversation but what would you guess just anecdotally from people you know and hunters what would you guess the compliance rate on that reporting is just off the top of your head. Uh, yep. So the people I would say that I'm associated with, with, with talking about hunting, I would say 90%. But if I were that's to walk... Exactly, that's exactly where I would put it, 90% yep. from the people I know. Yep. Now, if I walk into a bar where our deer camp up is up 
in northern lower peninsula, like toward the Sheboygan area, that might drop 20%. Um, Fair enough. I know exactly what you mean <laughs> yep. once you get in those areas. Yep. And, but, so I, I think the compliance rate is actually pretty high in the state because people do like the, seeing the live numbers are, it, I mean, it's cool, you know, and I think that it people. Is, and, and I will say this for everything negative that I would have to point out about our DNR, I do think they did a really good job with that app so far. Yeah, I and do it too. It's been very, very interesting to yes, me like to it's, see that information. Yep, it's not, and it's easy. You know, like my my sixty two year old dad who can barely text knows how to you know go you know report his harvest. Yeah. So yeah, I did think um, that was well done. Yeah, it it has been well done. I just um, and but you look, and I think the compliance is a lot higher. I think your generation, like we, you and I, we're only eight years apart, so we're. We're in that same generation of hunters where a lot of us have been out of state and know that like all these other states do this harvest report and you report your harvest right away. So when you come home and you saw how easy it was, when you come home and your state does it, you're a fan of it. And it's just like, it's second nature to do it. Um, So I, I do think when you get into my dad's age and older, like I would like to know what the compliance rate is on that. Um, But I do look at, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I cut my own deer up, but I believe you can't take them to a processor or a taxidermist without that confirmation number, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Which helps. So, I mean, that, cer- that certainly helps. Yes, it does. But, but to your point about the does, I mean, I reported my deer and have no problem with it, but if a guy is going to cut his own deer up, and it's a doe, and he's not taking it to a taxidermist, that is far more likely to not get reported. Amen. Um, so so I think those doe numbers would bump up slightly, but it's not going to put us, you know, it's not going to swing the... No, know, it's the not enough to swing it to doe. Yeah, to what other states are doing. And um, so, I, in your, so in your opinion, what is the biggest barrier for those 75% of hunters that don't shoot a doe? Do you think it's cultural from days gone by, um, cost of tags? Um, what, what would you say is preventing that? You know, I, I, me personally, I do believe that it's still cultural in the state of Michigan. I mean, I I'm, agree. I'm 33 years old. Um, so I'm not, I'm not young by like, when you look at the total spectrum of, of hunters, I've been doing it for, for 20 years and I come from a generation where like I was told growing up that shooting does was like my dad never shot does and it wasn't like a bad thing it's just like it's not even something that crossed his mind for a long time and I think it was like and they come from a generation where the deer density was a little bit lower you shot the first buck you saw and it was a trophy um yep and what you did yep it is it's what you did and I just feel like there's even though your and I's generation of hunters have a, a, a overall a better understanding of the importance of shooting does, I also think that a lot of us there's a there's a ton of hunters in Michigan that still don't go out of their way to like they're not like avid hunters like you and I, right? They it's yeah, it's so, one of hobby they so have. In that, in that situation, I like to use my dad as an example yep. because he is a lifelong hunter. But I'll tell you right now, his deer season is November 15th, 16th, and 17th. If he shoots two bucks or zero bucks, that's his deer season. Yep. 
Yep. And that's just what he does. He has a great time doing it, but he really doesn't have any desire to hunt any more days than that. Um, and I think part of a large portion of that 75% is in that category. And, huh. it, and, it, and it makes it very tough. Like just looking at my dad, he started to wait for some nicer bucks the last few years. And so if he shoots a doe on November, certainly on the 15th, he's not going to, I know he would never do that for sure because you're trying to buck hunt. Yep. And then it, it sort of compounds the next few days if he doesn't have a buck and it just, it isn't going to happen. And I think that's probably a lot of that 75%. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's like, they still have this, a lot of them still have this mindset. There's, I think there's your dad's like example. I think there's still a very large percentage of Michigan licensed buyers that are, that fall in your dad's category more than most other States around us. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I believe that, uh, that <laughs> it's like this, like innate, almost like an innate pressure to, to kill a buck. And when they don't kill a buck opening day, their standards, their mindset doesn't shift to like, let's fill the freezer with a dough. It's I'm going to lower my standards on what kind of buck I'm going to shoot. That's definitely a sliding scale after the 15th. It hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it is for me too. I mean, I even like, you know, I, I think it's a sliding scale for, for majority of guys that, that gun hunt. I mean, even like guys like you that bow hunt through gun season, it's like once, if you don't kill that buck on November 15th, it gets a heck of a lot harder. Right. So, um, there's still that mindset. I just like, when does that like, and I can't really, I guess, fault them for that because every hunter in North America goes out with the hopes of killing a buck first. I mean, true. Nobody, if they're being honest, you know, it, if, yeah, you, if they said you get to shoot one deer this year, do you want a doe or a buck? They want a buck. A buck. You know what I mean? Amen. So, Amen. And, and that's really what I wanted to accomplish by getting on with you here today is maybe we could get to the bottom of like how do you fix that or change that in michigan so what i'm like i don't know i've hunted wisconsin but i have to compare like michigan and wisconsin besides like the fact that you know there's a lot of giant bucks shot in wisconsin they have a lot more like in the boone and crockett class than than michigan do does but it's like a huge like michigan opening day or wisconsin opening day it's like it's like a holiday over there just like it is here yes and it's it's part of it's in the culture over there like it is here uh i'm interested why their doe numbers are so much higher do you think it's because as far as harvest goes Yes, as far as har- like as far as percentage of harvest, like more does than bucks. So um, they had a massive spike in the early two thousands in their ratio of doe to buck. Um with the earn a buck program, with CWD, the first rumblings of that. Correct. They they started just hammering the does. And then there was a massive pushback on that a couple of years after that. And now if you look at like the last 10 years, they've really evened out to where, yes, it might be slightly higher than the buck harvest, but it's not. It's not 25% more. Right. Correct. Right. I guess um, would, would have, just looking at that though, would, <laughs> if Michigan were to do a, a five year, for five years do earn a buck, could it shift a little bit? 
you know, because that was part of it for them. I, originally, when Ernabuck came out, that was right when I was starting to transition to passing more bucks and starting to want to kill bigger bucks in my early 20s. Yep. And I was just all about it. We need that here. We absolutely need that here. And now that I've gotten older and kind of a little more level-headed about things and look at everybody's perspective, I really think that you would lose a ton of hunting interest right off the bat, right off the top of that. I mean, you look at a three-day gun hunter, for him to kill a doe, check it in, then get his buck tag, I think a lot of guys would just kind of throw their hands up and be like, forget this, you yeah. know what I mean? go to deer camp and... and so not, so and to not me, that cabin. immediately kind of disqualifies in my mind and earn a buck one thing that and it's funny i was actually talking to my wife about this this weekend and when i told her i was coming on here with you um and she's hunted with me off and on through our whole relationship she'll, and she's heard me talk for 20 years about it and she brought up a good point maybe the second buck tag is earn a buck yeah i've 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 heard that then discussion everybody, then everybody gets their buck tag and i and i stopped for a second i'm like you know that that's a really good point because if you are getting that second buck, you're probably a hunter that hunts more, Yep. you know, more days per year. And For that sure. could be a really good way. Um, and then that still satisfies the guys that want to have a tag in their pocket when they're out there opening, opening day. day. Yep. Um, yep. I don't, I mean, logistically, who knows, that would probably be a nightmare for the DNR to try and, yeah, I mean, deer in and verify because I know in Wisconsin they got wild when they first went to earn a buck. Guys were scooping up road kills. And oh they had yeah, to start spray spray painting deer and like so guys couldn't check them in and all that stuff. Yeah, but, and you would see some of that here too if that. But yeah, it, it just yeah. really kind of piqued my interest when she said that. I'm like, you know, that could be a solution. If it, it very know. well could, yeah, the logistics of it would would be challenging. Um, you're kind of but like but like say you make that combo you buy your combo tag and it's a buck and a doe tag yep and then and then you have to earn that second buck tag yeah i i, and I one mean thing, one thing that's always bothered me about the dnr and how they do their buck tags if you buy a single buck tag am i wrong you have to specify firearm or archery yes it's not just a, a universal single buck tag which Correct. just blows my mind especially in our state right like right we buy more there's more combo tags bought in our state than i mean i don't and I guess no, that's probably why they don't do the universal single is they want to push that combo to make twice the money i mean yeah that's the only like how well let's call a spade a spade here like the dnr needs licensed buyers for for money and uh how how big of a, a hit would that take if you did? They're probably worried about that. Like logistics aside, that earn a second buck tag. Um, there's still a portion of Michigan hunters that are love their combo tag, and they'd piss them off to no end. And true, I mean, there's there's very high odds, like in, especially in my area. November 15th is so much better than the rest of the season that if you are going to shoot two really nice bucks, it's probably going to be opening day. Opening day, for sure. So if you're not sitting there with your two buck tags, like you said, there probably is going to be a lot of 
Yeah, <laughs> a lot of guys there's going to be not some, like that at all. But there, you can't be per, you can't. There's no perfect solution to this, right? So yeah. it's like what makes the smallest amount of people pissed off and keeps the money in our pocket and helps the herd management, the buck to doe yeah. ratio, and it's it's tough. Now let me ask you this: so in that article by Chad Stewart, it says because you know your our generation is. Most of us are well informed on the importance of of killing does. So since two thousand, though, um, our antlerless harvest decre- has decreased by twenty eight percent from the early two thousands. Um, part of that, obviously, is we have less licensed buyers. I mean, bucks are down eleven percent, but the fact that antlerless is down almost thirty percent since the two thousands, and I feel like that's that's kind of when this whole QDMA kill does got like, you know, you started to see it on TV a little bit and read about it. Um, I just, it's, it strikes my curiosity why over the last 20 years with all this talk that antlerless harvest has actually decreased by, by almost 30%. Okay. Yeah. And, and I did see that, but I guess I missed the buck. The buck numbers decreased by 11%, you said? Correct. Okay, so that, I guess there is a little bit of a, you know, a question there because the first thing that just shot into my head when you said that is I'm like, well, the whole harvest in general is probably down. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, if somebody's very clever, you can skew numbers to say just about whatever you wanted to say. 100%. But... I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know what to think of that. I really don't because it seems like my age and younger are more prone to shoot does. Yep. And as the baby boomer, because what's going on, he's projecting um, we're going to slide from 800,000 hunters to at our peak to 450 in 2030 is yep. what their estimate is. Yep. A lot of that is the baby boomer generation aging out. Yes. I mean, it just, it just is. Yep. They're such a massive generation. They make up such a big chunk of the hunter numbers. So, so there again, like that kind of irritates me when they try to like incite, not panic, but you know what I mean? They're trying to raise the alarm there. And I'm like, well, some of that is just population, you know, hundred percent. Like I, I hundred percent understand that. that are leaving the, the, the arena there, but you would think the younger generation would be killing more does. So that, I guess, doesn't make sense. Yeah, the one thing that did cross my mind when I saw that number is there was probably a a good amount of does um, in the 90s that were killed um, over a bait pile, or in the early 2000s, over a bait pile. And Very very true. A guy sitting over a bait pile shoots his buck first, because you got to do that, right? And. And then it sit and continues to sit opening day over his bait pile. And it's like, all right, I got my buck. And here's this big doe blowing at me at my bait pile. I'm going to kill her too, you know. Um, so, I would also challenge their accuracy on their numbers from back then as well. Yeah. Oh, for because sure. Because it is an estimate. And I always kind of rolled my eyes at those estimates. Yeah. Because you saw from 21 to 22... They estimated, um, I wrote it down, 411,000 deer were killed in, in, oh, 411,000 in 2020. So then by 2022, when we did the check-in, that went down to, what, 330,000? Yeah, yeah. 
You know so, what I mean? So for sure, they, they might have some bloated estimates there, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I I guess I don't know. The numbers are definitely, that, but are are. But yeah, and it it just kind of like not really. I guess I don't know how to describe it. I get a little frustrated when, like I saw when you said I would give the Michigan hunters as a whole an F as a grade. Yeah. And I'm, and I, I kind of bristle at that just from hearing the DNR. It, the hunters aren't doing enough. We're not doing enough. You're not doing good enough. Well, you know what I mean? So that kind of, Oh, trust me. I, that, I, that's why, that's why I reached out and I wasn't trying to be necessarily confrontational. And I'm glad that we're talking now to try and understand more what you meant by that. No. Um, yeah. So and, in your mind, in your mind, it's an F and that's fine. What in your mind, what is an A season in Michigan look like? So the, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit my F was harsh. Like got. No, and I'm not yeah, faulting you for no, that. No, no. I, 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 so, yeah, but I, I my, just wanted to get the, your opinion on what an A would look like. So the difference between an F and an A for me is is not substantial i i would an a for me would be to see like progress to the point of like a one-to-one kill ratio i don't need to all of a sudden see this huge swing and especially in a state where hunting and killing bucks and killing two bucks is so ingrained in our culture more than any other state in the lower 48 and i don't need to see this like a hundred thousand more does killed, but what I, an A for me would to see like a one to one ratio. It, even if it's ten more deer than buck, ten more does than bucks, just progress in that direction. Correct. Like the like okay. it just I guess I, I looked that day. It was like I think it was like or it was the first week of January. So I was like, besides this, you know, east side, most of the harvests are in that are going to be yep. reported. And I was like, man, like we didn't even go up a 10th of a percentage, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. after this push, like, yes, like the DN, like I I've gotten frustrated in the past too, being like the DN, like the hunters are never good enough in Michigan. Like that's the DNR stance and everything. Right. And, yes. um, that's really frustrating, but it's like, all right, maybe like finally the DNR actually came out and like, there's this article that's widespread, they're doing stuff to like change to push toward more antlerless harvest, not just like condemn us for never killing them. They're doing small things to entice us to kill more does and starting to educate us a little bit, even though the numbers may be skewed a little bit. Um, they're they're doing small things to educate us, and the fact that it didn't go up a tenth of a percent, I was like, are you? I, that was really frustrating to me. <laughs> you know, like the information yeah. is there. We still, everybody complains. Everybody, you know, it, you right. can't. And, and I'm glad that we're, you know, yes, we're both complaining and have frustrations. But let's offer, you know, maybe a few ways that we can work toward increasing that. And I have very high frustration level with the DNR over um, the APR study that they did the last four years in Notcom, Ionia. In Macosta County. Yep. Are you familiar with a lot of that? No, I'm not. So, uh, so probably not I, as much as one you. One of my closest friends owns a good sized farm in Montcalm County. Okay. When they tried that APR study, they said, okay, we're going to try this for, I think it was four years. 
but if you want to keep it, you have to meet these antlerless harvest goals of X number. I don't have the information right in front of me. Gotcha. So for four years, the hunters in those three counties outpaced what the DNR set forth as a goal for antlerless harvest. Yep. And they still took it away and went back to the little buck and then the restricted tag. Why do you think that is? I 100% believe that it's because of CWD and they do not want deep down. If they would just admit it, they do not want any result in a net loss in buck harvest because bucks in their mind, they travel more. And a lot of these CWD guys are saying that they're, they're who's spreading the CWD and the bucks are more prevalent with CWD. So I just think they cannot bring themselves to, to save say more that. bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And, I mean, I've heard that. I've, I've definitely and heard that. That breeds whole... so much mistrust, especially from me in the DNR, that they held that carrot in front of those landowners over there and they tried to do so good and they yanked the rug out from underneath them. And they did they after, did after they, four years. Did they give them a reason why? Or did they just kind of beat around the bush? I forget the reason why. It's the typical politician answer that yeah. we've been hearing for the last few years about that kind of stuff. For but, sure. Uh, more of a non-answer than anything, but how frustrating. Those oh my people goodness. were so excited. They were seeing talk to talk to Kevin Leach from Latitude, a mutual friend of ours, yep. about about his results that he was seeing in Mont, Montcom and some of those counties over there in the difference in the age structure of bucks from three to four years of APRs is an instant decline that he saw this year when they went away. No kidding. Instant. Yeah. And like that's just show it goes to show like we're all aware of it. Anybody who's somewhat educated on it knows like you don't need a decade of APRs to see like it just, it's a simple, it's simple math. Kill more does, pass up small bucks in the hunting experience. The hunting, uh, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? the The amount of the amount of mature bucks you see explodes overnight. Yeah, and and that was another question I wanted to ask you. So, with increased doe harvest, you know, I hear I don't know if you worded it this way, but I've seen Mark Kenyon has worded it this way. Michigan has a doe problem. Yeah, you know, we have this doe problem. So with increased doe harvest, what would you envision? So say we have a really good year with doe harvest. Yep. The next couple of years, what what would you expect to see change? Um, would it be bigger, bigger bucks? So would I would be yeah. I so here's my so without APRs, if you take APRs and any kind of other buck rule out of the equation, and just say if doe antlerless. Um, harvest explodes in the next couple years. Yep. Um, I would see a lot more of what I see when I've traveled down to Illinois and Ohio. And what that is, is a lot more exciting rut with a lot more bucks on their feet looking for that doe because there's a little bit of competition. They can't just mm-hmm. roll over on top of the next doe that goes into estrus. And the the good bucks that do survive in, in Michigan... Um, they don't have to move as much in the rut. They just don't. And right, right. Um, 
like it was so I uh, 2016 I went down to Ohio with a buddy and it was so eye opening. It's such a different type of hunting because the, the the deer density in southern Ohio is is much lower. But we were hunting for five days and between the two of us we saw nineteen deer and we saw sixteen bucks. And right. it's like you know, I'm not ever expecting to see that in Michigan. We have huge doe herds. Um what I'm what I would expect to see though would be an improvement where it's not like um, you'd see more of the the two or three bucks on a doe rather than one buck maybe following three or four does. And uh, it would make, I think overnight you would still, even without APRs, you would see more mature, de- whatever you want to label that as in your area because of the pressure, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. Um, you'd see more mature deer on their feet in daylight. And at the end of the day, I think that's all Michigan hunters can really ask for if they're, if they're, if, if they're like avid hunters, like you and I, like it's up to us to kill the deer, but the amount of encounters and opportunities, if those increase, how much happier would we be? Right. And I agree totally. Um, I just don't know how the DNR views it through that lens. You know what I mean? As far as how they weigh hunter experience versus, I feel like in from their standpoint, they just want to see total numbers lower, like just kill, kill, kill. Like that's all they harp on. Yep. And they don't take into account Montcom, Ionia, and Macosta proved it in those four years. And if you go and look at the data on their app, several of the counties that come very close or even do outpace buck kill with those are in the Northwest 12. Where yeah, they have APRs. APRs. Yep. It's night and day. It's it's right there. And I don't, I guess I would want a concrete answer from them why they won't. They know hunters want it. Yeah. An overwhelming percent of a percentage of hunters in Michigan want that and are in favor of it and it's proven to have an uptick in doe kill yeah it's kind of that it one just, it just does it does I oh 100 percent. i mean if you can't shoot the six point and you need to fill the freezer right. you know it's 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 kind of common sense and the the fact that what's 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 so what's different about the apr compared to like one buck and uh earn a buck or earn a second buck or whatever uh, other options there are is that generation of like your dad and that Mm -hmm. group of hunters that only hunts four days a year. They're not, they're not up in arms about that. Right. You know, their tag is still in their pocket. They want to kill a nice buck. And maybe if it's November 17th and they're going home tomorrow and they haven't filled a tag and a doe steps out, they're more willing to pull the trigger on it and be like, I'll just, I'll shoot a bigger buck next year. Yes. So. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's funny. How old you say you are? 30, 33. Early 30, 33. Okay. Yep. So I've noticed such a shift in my mindset just from like your age to my age, as far as being more sympathetic to other hunters situations, maybe not, you know, uh, putting as much weight on the you know such big bucks and yeah. all that stuff yeah and 
and I kind of can sympathize with those guys more, but at the same time, it's a subtle shift in your buck kill. It's not like you're going to go five years without filling your buck tag, especially Correct. in the lower peninsula. Yes. Amen. So, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, it, what I've noticed too is like, even like, even though I, I, I posted, you know, all those statistics and gave Michigan hunters an F in that, in that post, I, I'm already like, I look at back to like when I started this podcast four years ago, um, I do I like I don't lump all hunters into to one category. Um because like like you said, like in the state of Michigan, the hunting and the opportunity and the the pressure, it's like it's different in every little section of the state. So like there's guys that I know here in West Michigan and Grand Rapids that they hunt when they can on public land that's pretty close to um the city of Grand Rapids, so it's very heavily pressured, and um, it's hard for them to kill that one doe, you know. So yeah. it's hard for me to give that guy an F because he didn't end up killing a doe, or he might have killed the like a one and a half year old buck that he saw, and it was the only buck he saw all year, you know. Right, um, right. But we do live in the, also. At the, there's also guys that I know that. Um, they have 300 acres of private they hunt and they kill two bucks and call it a year, you know? So, yes, yes. <laughs> Those guys especially are a little baffling to me. But it, exactly. And then <laughs> I think that a very quick solution without even changing regulations, I think that these doe tags, especially in quantity are cost prohibitive. I mean, $20 a tag. Do you really think there's a lot of guys that are going to, buy 10 doe tags at $20 a pop? Heck no. 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 I think if, if they, and that's what I would challenge back to Chad Stewart is if you're so impassioned about increasing doe harvest, cut them to $5 a tag for one year and watch what happens. A hundred. Yes. I, I also $5, heard $5 yep. per tag. And I also had a friend suggest $5. That's perfect. Like where I hunt up in Northeast lower peninsula, the, <laughs> The, the deer density is so high, it is five bucks up there for a doe tag. Um, and way okay, more does are shot. In the, in the TB zone still up there? Yep, yep. Okay. And the there's a lot of does shot up there. And I've also heard, I had a buddy suggest, you get a free doe tag with your combo tag. Yep. And um, stuff like that, where got, well, you're right, because I don't even go and buy 10 doe tags, because I don't want to spend... 240 bucks in my own state on my combo and 10 doe tags right um yeah that's ridiculous so i i usually buy two or three and see where the season goes but it's still that's a hundred dollars out of my pocket to hunt in my own state um now especially the guys who were just buying the combo before trying to entice them with a, a universal tag and for I, 20 bucks and i do think not, I don't know what the percentage is, but a very small percentage of guys are processing 100 percent of their own deer, and an average processor is what 100 to 150 dollars per yeah, year now. Yeah, that's yeah. very. I mean, <laughs> I, guys not going to go and shoot three, four does and pay for that. No, on top of their no. buck, they're just not willing to. Absolutely, so, no. that's a thousand dollars with tag. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would offer to Chad is kind of the state put their money where their mouth is if they're going to beg and plead and tell us we're not doing good enough 
Yep. For one year, make those tags five dollars and show me your data. And um, I 100% agree. And if you're gonna, you know, complain about the processing fees, like do virtual classes online on how to process your own deer. You know. Um, yeah, and, and like uh, there's the Village Market in Carson City, not too far from me. Yeah. Um, about a 35 minute drive from my house but you can just go and donate them don't, and don't yep. cost to yourself yep. but <laughs> if you're shooting multiple does like i am i killed five does this year it's still <laughs> you're shooting the deer you're dragging the deer you're gutting it you gotta load it in your truck and drive 35 minutes. you know what i mean there yeah. is you're sacrificing four to five hours of your time at minimum to take care of that deer and to repeat that that many times I think we, I think the target audience needs to be those seventy five percent that don't shoot a doe. I think you could really dip into that by by dropping the cost. Yes, I one hundred percent agree. I do. Um, yeah. I think. I mean that that just that dip in cost, like a five dollar tag or free doe. T- because let's be honest, a lot of those that seventy five percenters, which I, I think is, I, I would I would. I would bet that the majority of that percentage, or at least way more than half, are fifty year old, fifty years and older. Um, yes. Those guys aren't even aware that the combo tag you can kill a doe with your combo tag now, right? They're treating a that. Of, a lot of them are not because they don't spend a lot of time online to no. see the information. Nope. They just buy that combo like they always have, and they know they have a restricted and regular buck. And um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot more things they can do. Uh, and I guess going back to my initial thought, like initial comment about like they are doing more to push doe tags, killing more does. They are, but they like there are asterisks like we have just mentioned the twenty dollar tag. These guys don't even know that you can kill a doe with your combo. And yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys are still complaining that the combo tag is forty bucks now. You know. So, <laughs> right. well, uh, anything else you want to discuss? It's been a really good conversation, Matt. Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it and I appreciate you hopping on, even though I kind of pushed back at your original post, you know what I mean? So no, I, was, uh, I was glad to hear from you and see, well, dig a little deeper into what your viewpoint was on that. So. Yeah. I appreciate you reaching out and I really like, if it really wasn't, I didn't view it as too confrontational or if I thought you were just going to come on here and yell at me, I would have invited <laughs> you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, it's been a great conversation, man. And it's, uh, it's been good to, to get to know you a little bit and, uh, we'll have to, to, to keep in touch, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for hopping on, Matt. It's been a great conversation. Um, do you mind if I share your, uh, your Instagram on, uh, the show notes? People can check yeah, out here yep. you've killed. Yeah, cool, man. Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great night, and we'll talk soon, man. All right, thanks. Yep. We'll see you. See ya. Well, that was Matt Campbell. That was a really good discussion. I think more discussions like that need to happen. Uh, like I said, I came out with a post with, with the doe harvest statistics in Michigan a couple weeks ago. At the end of it, I said I give Michigan hunters an F because we hadn't increased our percentage by – a tenth of a percent. Now, I haven't been on there in the last couple of weeks. I just did that at the beginning of January when I figured most of the harvests were reported. Excuse me. But 
Um, it's definitely an issue in the state of Michigan, and our DNR is far, far, far from from perfect and um, sometimes downright infuriating. So, um, but it's conversations that continue to need to happen, and maybe shift if we have enough of these conversations. Maybe that shifts the culture. A little bit. We don't need a complete shift because I love this the culture of Michigan. I love that Michigan, that deer hunting is rooted in our tradition and rooted in our culture. There's so like you, we're one of the few states left where if you bump into five guys on the street, three of them are deer hunters, right? And I love that. But we need to continue to have these conversations if we want to improve the quality of the Michigan hunting and the bucks in the state of Michigan. Um, these are the conversations that need to be happening, you know, on the buck side and the doe side and making doe hunting cool and worth it. And, uh, no, we're not going to go pay the same amount we pay for a buck tag for a doe tag. I don't think anybody would agree with that, but if, if we can make it a way where we could all afford two doe tags, um, I think that would be a huge shift. So, uh, there's a lot of more conversations we can have like this. We'll have more conversations on this podcast in the future. Um, but I appreciate Matt hopping on. It was a great conversation. Um, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like I said at the beginning of the show, leave us a review. Tell us what you think. And uh, we're going to end this puppy with a prayer and uh, close on out. Thanks for listening, guys. God. Give me eyes to see how I can be the answer to your prayer today. Show me how I can meet the needs of the people around me. Help me be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus. And as I serve you, please let the way I live inspire others to serve you too. Increase the number of people who are loving you by loving others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Live for Jesus, y'all. Have a good one.